Douglas W. Diamond, the Merton H. Miller Distinguished Service Professor of Finance at the Booth School of Business, was honored today for improving our understanding of the role of banks in the economy, particularly during financial crises. He is on the phone right now. Nobel Prize in Economics. And you thought for a moment, you thought perhaps, Professor, that this was a prank phone call? Well, I didn't. I wasn't thinking it was a prank phone call necessarily, but I got the I got the ring at you know quarter of four in the morning, which is not the time you expect to call. And I hear a man with a Swedish voice, so I didn't know. And he says, "Is this Douglas Diamond?" Blah blah blah. And the, I said, "Yes." And he says, "Well, I got some people here who want to talk to you from the you know the Nobel Prize Committee." And then they put on people from the Nobel Prize Committee whose voices I did know. And I was very happy that it was the real the real deal. And uh, I, in fact, had, had won the Nobel Prize with two other people. Now, Professor, did you go to sleep last night knowing that it was a possibility? I did know that they gave the prize and several people had, you know, hinted to me that I should, you know, be, you know, be aware of this date for the last several years. But, you know, you never know when you're going to get it. And it seems like maybe you have a two or three percent chance. But it's very nice to... I'm pretty sure I know I'll never get it. (laughs) (laughs) So 40 years of research, 40 years of research. Uh, This is Douglas W. Diamond. I guess we put the W in now so that you are not confused with anyone else since you are now uh, a Nobel Prize winner. Um, So 40 years, they consider you... just call me Doug. Okay, Doug, good. Thank you. We keep down on that level. You're considered a founder of the modern banking theory. We're looking at some really tough times right now. Are there enough regulations in place that history will not repeat itself? I think actually the regulations of the the banking sector itself are pretty good, pretty strong. We're in much better position in the banking sector than we were before 2008. Um, it's a good thing that it's pretty strong because in this period where there's inflation and the Fed has to, you know, and central banks around the world have to raise interest rates, and they've been buying government bonds with what was called quantitative easing. Now they're going to be selling government bonds. It's called quantitative tightening. Those things could put some stresses on the financial system. The banks are okay. The trouble is, as the banks you know, were strengthened up, it gave them some cost disadvantages. Some of these activities moved to outside the banking system, things called shadow banks, some to insurance companies, uh, things like that. And some of the problems this time, if if they should occur, may occur elsewhere in the financial system. It might even be firms themselves having a hard time refinancing their, their corporate debt rather than the banks having a hard time refinancing their bank debt. Can you explain how the research you've done and the conclusions you've drawn have impacted the rest of us or the banking world? I mean, is, how it has affected change? Okay, so let me. I'll give you the one part of it, like the, in a in a nutshell. Then I'll tell you how people think about it. So, what Phil Divig and I did in a, in our um, 1983 paper was to show, in a very simple way, why banks and the financial system as a whole should set themselves up in a way where they might have a bank run if everybody thought there would be a bank run. Which is to say, if, if they had fear of fear itself, that'd be a valid concern. So th- that seems like a, a bug, a, a bad thing to have being vulnerable to the fear of fear itself. But we showed in our in our analysis, our paper, that this is a way of banks 
using money from you and me who want their money potentially back in a hurry to spend or to to buy a house or whatever or to you know make an investment and take that money and invest it in long-term projects that can't be liquidated very fast you know like plant equipment or you know real businesses things like that so letting everybody take a chance to get their money out if they need it but if everybody doesn't need it at the same time magically solves this problem. So, you know, 20% of the people want their money. We just have to have enough money around for 20% of the people to take it. And that works beautifully. But if everybody comes to take it, then we're in deep trouble. And that's what a bank run is. So, So, nutshell, we showed that the fact that banks write these contracts subject to the run, that might have runs on them, might have panics, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. But you don't want to have panics all the time. So it, the the right policy is just enough of this, what we call liquidity transformation of, of illiquid assets into liquid deposits, just enough of it, not too much, get it just right. It's sort of like Goldilocks, you know. And so what regulators and supervisors and policymakers around the world took away from our analysis is this thing that you, that you don't really want to make the system totally run-proof. But you don't want to have runs very frequently at all. And then we sort of provided a simple, logical framework for people to think about when there's an actual crisis going on. So various policymakers during the 2008-9-10 crisis who had read our paper said they went back and reread it just for the nuances in those periods, uh, in, in that in that 2008-9-10 period. So the, the, the fact that policymakers had our simple ideas to rely on, let them make good decisions on the fly. So Ben Bernanke is an an example of this. He used our ideas um, on the fly to help come up with some really good solutions to financial problems during 2008. It's our honor to speak with you today, Doug. Doug Diamond, University of Chicago professor, shares a Nobel Prize in economics, found out today, is there going to be a recession in the next six to nine months? I'm not a macroeconomist. Uh, there, there's going to be a recession in the next year, I'd say. And, you know, these policies have sort of what people call long and variable lags. So I'm guessing that there will be some kind of a recession. I don't think it'll be a huge one, but that's a little away from what I do for a living. Okay, Professor, I know you've got to go, but I was just at the Nobel Museum in Stockholm. And one of the cool things they do, you know, you've got that great banquet in City Hall, and then they have the winners sign the underside of their chair, and they move those chairs into the canteen, if you will, or the cafeteria at the museum. So when you sign the bottom of your chair, well, when we go to visit the museum the next time, we might well be sitting in the chair you sat in at the banquet. We can only oh, hope. I didn't know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure I have my best penmanship with me. Congratulations. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. My pleasure. Bye-bye. What a what an honor to speak with him. I could listen to him forever. He's only got two courses um, on his class schedule this year, one on corporate finance and the other on financial markets and institutions. And I'm thinking, how how do those students walk into class today? Oh well, he's he's on the media tour has started for for Douglas W. Diamond. But uh, when he does get back to class, can you imagine they're walking in knowing that they're um, learning from a Nobel? prize winner. That's pretty...
pretty stout. Hey, coming up, um, some people, sorry to break it to you, Kevin, but some people called about Indigenous People's Day or Columbus Day. Somebody on our voicemail, we will share that with you. We will also talk to somebody at a museum who can address Indigenous People's Day. But Steve has your news next on 720 WGN. Lisa Dent, WGN.